Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sorpox. In this week's edition of Insight, we've got tickets to the second business interruption opera and are eagerly waiting for the rotund female lead to burst into song. Another popular idiom warns against the dangers of counting chickens too early, but might it be better than counting on Suncorp's results? And at the fear of sounding like a hipster DJ's worst nightmare, whose vinyl collection are damaged beyond repair, we report again on the impact of climate change. Hello everyone, this week I'm joined by the more awesome foursome, senior journalist Bernice Han, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Hello John, with the launch of The Broker to a weekly format last week, you must be busy. Yes, we are busy, but thankfully there's always something going on out there, so plenty to report. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. How did you digest all those Suncourt numbers without falling asleep? They were gripping. <laughs> <laughs> and good morning, Bernice. Morning, Andrew. Did you help Wendy with all the financial results? Oh, oh no, I was just watching the show, <laughs> waiting for her story. <laughs> oh, and good morning, Terry. Good morning. I've run out of questions for you, Terry. So how the devil are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Fine, fine. So, Wendy. Finally, we have an update on the second business interruption test case. Is it over? <laughs> Not yet. Where we are now, looking ahead, it's a two-part process. So you have to first convince the uh, the High Court to hear your case. And then if you do, it will schedule an appeal hearing. So the High Court has now said it will hear oral arguments on that first step as to why it should actually take on the case, which is what they're looking to do is appeal the full court decision from um, from February. So, uh, But unfortunately, uh, the High Court said it's not planning to schedule that initial um, hearing until at least October. Once it does do that, you know, on that same day, it could then toss out the application and the full court decision stands, or the High Court could say, um, yes, we, we do want to hear all about this, in which case I would probably uh, schedule an appeal hearing uh, sometime that could be well into next year. Wow. Well, this is dragging on a bit, isn't it, John? Yeah, you'd have to say it is. So we, we were told all the way through that these court cases would be expedited because of the, the importance of getting clarity for insurers and, and, and more importantly, their, their customers. But it has been dragging on, as you say. I mean, this is going back to, what, early 2020 when the first lockdowns happened. Part of the reason for it going on so long is that we have had two test cases. So the first, as, as you'll remember, was related to the outdated wordings on the Quarantine Act, and that has been fully dealt with. But then came the second test case, which is much more complicated. It involves a lot more cases as well to, to, to get your head around. So yeah, we, we, we started with this in early 2020 with the lockdowns. The second test case was filed in February last year. And here we are, I guess, rapidly running towards the end of 2022. And if the High Court does agree to proceed with the appeal, then we're going to be well into 2023. So can you remind me, why don't we follow the British approach or more like the English cricket team and get out early? It was, it was very different over there. It did happen, the, the court uh, case did happen a lot more quickly because the regulator was directly involved, the, the FCA, I believe. Here it happens differently with, with, with AFCA. There has been some discussion as to whether we should follow more of the British model and that might have brought a resolution more quickly. But... Uh, that is a, an issue for next time. It won't help us this time around. Well, could the time it's taken hurt insurers' reputations, Terry? 
Only with the individuals and companies affected, I reckon, we'll see reporting of the latest development in these cases from the more serious newspapers and, of course, insurance news. But this is a hard story to cover with, with very little public interest and a lot of technical arguments along the way. So if it does make it to a current affair, it will still be minor and will do nothing more than really continue the, the sort of prejudices that sort of rule on that kind of program. But Wendy, even when the test cases are over, there are separate class actions still pending, aren't there? Yes, there are a few. Um, a couple have been put on hold until the High Court leave to appeal application outcome is known. And I'm, I'm not quite sure, actually, if the High Court decides to actually hear that appeal, whether those class actions can sort of move ahead or in some way or whether they have to sort of stay on hold until that's completed. While there's also a, a shareholder class action against IAG over its disclosure of potential claims liabilities as a result of the outdated um, Quarantine Act wordings. So there's, there's actually a lot of uh, legal action happening around this business interruption issue. Well, moving on, Suncorp's results are out, Wendy. What are the key issues? Well, the two things that really stood out were the uh, impact of natural catastrophes and also the increases in premiums. So the uh, the net profit fell 34% to $681 million, and the main causes of that were the high level of disaster claims and volatility in investment markets. So they talked quite a bit about the impact of the uh, second straight La Nina, which led to uh, 35 weather events across Australia and New Zealand. But, um, you know, at the at the top line, both the uh, Australian and New Zealand businesses had strong growth in gross risk and premium. And in fact, uh, the uh, the second uh, half growth across those regions was a record uh, 9.9%. There seem to be some parallels with IAG's announcement that we discussed last week. Yeah, well, they both reported weaker profit and highlighted the impact of catastrophes. And they've also both increased their natural perils allowance for this financial year. And they also both talked about inflation and, and and the impacts there and the uh, higher level of premium pricing um, and the investment market volatility. And one of the differences with IAG was in their reserve strengthening in the commercial liability business. And of course, Suncorp is also in the process of uh, selling its uh, bank, assuming it gets a clearance from the regulators. Do you think our two biggest insurers are going okay, Terry, despite these obvious challenges? Yes, I do. As you say, the challenges they're dealing with are, are obvious and Suncorp and IAG are indeed going through a tough time. They all are. But we can all be pretty certain they'll recover their balance over the next 18 months, two years. If you're investing in an insurance company, you better see it as a long-term proposition, which is a bit like the banks. So while shareholders have been disappointed over the past couple of years, these companies are stable and well-managed and they will continue to operate. So, Benice, Broker Marsh has released its latest commercial price index, and there's some good news for DNO clients. Yes, indeed. So, DNO rates fell 5% in the June quarter, which is the first fall since 2017. And they have actually been rising at a weaker pace in the last couple of quarters, according to the Marsh update. So, um, in the March quarter, it was just up 5%. In the previous December quarter, 15%. And a year ago, it was up 40%. So you can see the um, deceleration in the pace of uh, rate rises. So uh, Marsh is saying that he expects the degree of softening seen at the start of June to deepen further and that competition is one factor. New players coming with competing with incumbents, especially for so-called vanilla risk, 
is the other factor. And another is new capacity streaming in, mainly in the London market. So uh, the worst is actually over for the DNO market, according to Marsh. Can anyone tell me why we always seem to talk about DNO? Well, there has been a focus on it over the last few years, Andrew, mainly because rates went up so fast, so quickly, as we've reported over the last few years, that the the premium rises in that segment have been huge, mainly due to the claims environment and, and class actions. So obviously, with clients facing increases of 100%, 200% and more, there's a lot of focus on it. And, and, and now there's just huge relief, I guess, from the client side that that those increases aren't happening anymore and we're starting to in fact see some small decreases so yeah i guess the the marsh update will tend to focus on those lines of insurance where where there are issues and hence dno has been singled out a few times in recent years now the focus is also turning to cyber as we've reported because cyber is now the one where there's big big increases well the moderation trend continues terry but there are plenty of reasons why premiums might not start falling across the board just yet. You're not wrong, Andrew. Premiums are going to have to stay on that upward curve for a while yet. While premiums have traditionally risen and dropped according to mainly external economic factors, the scale of of risk today and the cost of dealing with it are really the dominant features for insurers. Different classes of business have, have different risk profiles, and we now have the ability to measure those risks pretty accurately. So what you're going to be paying is generally going to be commensurate with the insurer's calculation of the risk. We've all seen the scale of natural disaster claims at present and the the exposure that insurers still face in any future catastrophes is now obvious. When premiums do start peaking, and who knows when or if that might be, you still won't be able to expect big drops in premiums because the scale of the exposure and the the incidence of catastrophes is going to require insurers to proceed with extreme caution. Bernice, global data have been warning the local industry about the uh, impact of climate change. That's right. So this new report from Global Data says uh, home insurers face growing earnings risks as extreme weather events caused by climate change lead to more claims costs. So uh, it has crunched the numbers and it says Australian property insurers' loss ratios have actually worsened in over the last two years. So last year it was 84.6% and in 2019 it was only 66.1%. Global data is expecting loss ratios to stay above the 80% level for the next five years. And it also has put some forecasts for property insurance claims. It's expecting property insurance claims to increase by more than 4% annually in the next five years. And that home insurers will pay out about $7.3 billion in 2026. So it says property insurers will have to walk a tight rope between profitability and customer retention as climate change-related risks on the earnings side of things intensify in the coming years. So maybe Marsh will be talking about property in a few years' time. Well, it's about time we had an Africa roundup, John. There have been some interesting rulings in the last week or so. Yes, there have. As as ever, these Africa rulings are at the the top of our most popular charts. One particularly interesting one was about a single mum who 
had bought a new car. The car was written off and unfortunately she'd only insured it for, well, just over 50% of the purchase price. Now, the interesting part of this ruling was that Africa said that the insurer, although it was only giving general advice, should have given her some more warnings about what she was doing there with that underinsurance. So Africa said it was patently unwise to insure a new car for only 50, 56% of the purchase price, especially given that $40,000 of that sum was owed to a financier. Yes, it's general advice and the insurer doesn't, doesn't need to give any personal advice as it were, but they should have said that this was an unwise decision to go ahead with uh, insurance on that basis. So that was an interesting one. We also had a home and contents claimant who was upset that her insurer hadn't renewed her policy after she made 39 home claims within a five-year period, 55 property claims over a longer period. Now, AFCA said that an insurer is under no obligation to take on a risk and that uh, this was an extensive claims history. So yeah, just a reminder there, I guess, to people that you can't force an insurer to insure you. Another one that we had that I thought was very interesting related to a fire claim. Now, this was this was a fire that started in a in a in a defective fireplace. And so the insurer denied the claim because it had exclusions relating to damage caused by poor craftsmanship. I was quite surprised about this because I thought that, you know, fire was one of the areas where claimants were pretty were pretty safe, but apparently not. If the fire is caused by poor workmanship or something similar, then the insurer can deny the claim. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, Denise Han, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.